Uh, it's great to uh, have the privilege of sharing God's Word with you. Don't take that responsibility lightly. Uh, I've just returned, actually, off a few weeks, uh, sorry, a few, few days holiday. I wish it was weeks. Deb and I, my wife at the back, she's just standing, waving. Um, we've just been to Cornwall in the rain and the wind. Uh, surf was up, but I didn't, I didn't do any surfing for you young people. I just thought about doing it. Actually, you know when you see something, you think, oh, I wonder if I could do that, get a wetsuit, and, but then, no, it didn't happen. So uh, a week before that, I was in Armenia. First time I've been to Armenia, I was at, at the Russian speaking forum within New Frontiers. Uh, so it is north of Iran, Iraq, I discovered. It was a busy week, flew in on the Monday, flew back on the Friday. Food was okay. Uh, everything was I- with translation. So every meal you're having, it, the tr- is everything is in Russian. Uh, I don't know a lot of Russian. In fact, I know no very little Russian. It was wonderful people. Uh, Dave Devonish, who was the main speaker, unfortunately couldn't go at last moment, so I ended up doing about two and a half sessions rather than one. Uh, so that was a bit of a challenge, but I think I got away with it. So uh, there we go. Um, but it's good to finish this series. I think it's another, been another great series, the Restored series. I don't know how the teaching team do it around here, but they keep kind of delivering. I hope you feel that, yeah? And um, well, I know they work very hard, as does the production team, producing all these lovely videos that we just kind of kind of sit and go, oh, that's interesting. Uh, hours probably went into just producing that last video. Um, but it's a powerful story that Audrey shared uh, with us. So I'm speaking last uh, uh, message of the series called Relating to Others. Relating to Others, massive subject. Uh, about... Uh, Five or six weeks ago, uh, Deb and I, we hosted uh, what I guess we would call a family conference in the Tibet household. Uh, it was a family business meeting. Uh, my mum's uh, parents, my papa and nana, we called them, uh, actually had a business. It was a hardware shop. They started in Lewisham, just opposite the clock, and then they bought a bigger premises in South Norwood, just up from Norwood Junction. So if you know Norwood Junction, uh, about uh, 100 metres up, they, um, would, uh, they had this, this shop. And I remember as a, a young lad going into the hardware shop and would just uh, love the experience of going into the hardware shop. And we would, I remember it visually, vividly, it's like just the smells in this hardware shop. This is before the days of B&Q, and so it was uh, a very practical uh, and a great experience. In fact, I used to run in with my brother. We moved to Bedford when I was eight, and therefore, from the age of about four to seven, I used to run around the shop, and we would end up always upstairs, because Pop would put some... um, well, basically, he had some chocolate for us. So basically, what we would um, run up, and we used to have what called, they were called golden cup chocolates. You've got to be at my age or older to know, remember golden cup, because I exist, but golden cup doesn't exist anymore. That chocolate has not survived the test of time. And um, so we used to run up there. It was a great, great, great sort of childhood memory. Well, when my uh, papa retired... Uh, when he was uh, 65, they moved from South Nord to Rustington on the South Coast, and they sold up the business. But for some reason, they didn't sell a little plot of land, which was right at the back of um, the shop. 
And um, on the back of the shop, to this day, my family owns this very small plot of land. So I'm really here to tell you that the Tibet household, we own property and land in London, okay? Which is kind of slightly overstating the case. We basically have this very small plot. It's generated a little bit of income for my mum, her sister, Aunt Joy, who sadly died of cancer a few years ago. She married an American, lived in America. And the youngest of my pops and nan's kids, Les, her third-born son. So my mum's the eldest, then it was Aunt Joy, and now Les. And Les has really run the property. And um, uh, <laughs> what happened was, as, as, as the families got older, they, they, they're not sure what to do with this. Did I tell you about this sh- small pot of land that we've got, okay? Uh, and so we decided we've got to make a decision. And my dad, who's now in his mid-80s, contacted me and said, Steve, I know you haven't got much on, but could you help us sort of work out what to do with this land? So I said, okay. So we ended up with Deb and I hosting a family, it was like a family business meeting. And our family, unfortunately, our family gets on quite well, but I don't know if you've ever noticed that if you mix family and money together, occasionally it gets a little bit more tricky. I don't know if any of you have experienced that. And so we get on, well, whenever I've said that, all, I've got more than any other point through the whole message. So if you take money and money, uh, money and family, put it together, sometimes it creates real uh, dynamics. Now, fortunately, we get on well, but we're hosting the meal. I wanted to honor my father and my mum. I wanted to respect and honor Les, who's looked after this small plot of land, um, so all these dynamics going on, uh, Les had come with Roe, his wife, which was totally fine, and he invited his son, Tim, who's my cousin. And so we're all there, and we're having the meal, and then we're having the conversation. And unfortunately, we all, very quickly, there was consensus of what to do. And so we agreed, and that's in the process of being implemented. But I know in the moment, I was self-aware that I, there were other dynamics going on other than just Christmas lunch. Though sometimes when there's Christmas lunch, there's some dynamics going on as well. You get family together. And that's okay. And this meeting went well. But it was an example of how the context impacts how you relate to someone. And we all have multiple relationships. In fact, life is full of relationships. Uh, And they have different contexts. They have different degrees of Say intimacy, so the intimacy between a husband and wife is very different than um, a, a situation where you are, I- you're employed and you've got a relationship with an employee or uh, with your boss. And what we have to do in life is basically navigate through all these different relationships uh, and be aware over time you go, actually I, I respond like this in this situation, I respond like that there. If I responded like that in that situation, that would be inappropriate. And so we have to navigate how you go through different relationships. Actually, as an aside, if you haven't produced a will yet, yeah, can I, I ask this question in the church about annually. I'm not going to ask for a, uh, any, a show of hands, which always d- depresses me, but you should have a will, okay? Because pastorally, let me tell you, if you have any assets, if you die, not only are your, um, the family you leave behind grieving, but if there's no will, then they have to deal with the complications of, of, of all that. And as I'm just trying to protect the pastoral team from caring for you through not only the loss of a loved one, but also the dynamics related with no will in place. 
that's, that's a freebie for you there. Um, but how do we relate one to another? And my experience of life, my observation of my experience of life is that relationships give the most joy and at the same time they can give the most pain that you can experience in life. And uh, I want to try and help us navigate through these different relationships that we have. I'm going to root it in scripture. The passage I was given for this message was Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Let's read it together. I'll read it. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, uh, bearing with another in love, uh, one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. These are great uh, verses to preach out of for this uh, message because they really are transitional verse. The first one of chapter 4 is the transitional verse in the whole of the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church at Ephesus. So the first three chapters are doctrine-rich. They described who we are in Christ. They say things like, um, you've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, they say things like, you were once dead in your sin, but now you're alive in Christ. Or they say, you have received salvation through grace, through faith, not by your works. You can't earn the favor of God by your own works. It's a gift of God given in grace, Ephesians 2. Uh, so there's great truths. Uh, and then the transitional moment is, and, and, and in light of these great truths, live a life worthy of the calling you've received then. So there's a response on how you work out your, your faith, and particularly how you relate to others. We'll see how that um, comes forth in a moment. And then just before these verses, there's one of Paul's great prayers. So he's, he's, remind, he's sort of saying, there's great doctrine, what you believe, this should shape how you live. And then he prays for us. And I pray that out of your, his glorious riches, he will strengthen you. And I pray that being rooted and established in love. And I, I pray that you know the fullness. Um, you would be filled with all the fullness of God. So there's great doctrinal truth. And then there's a great prayer for us. And then he goes... Now live a life worthy of the calling you've received. John Stott, who's an Anglican scholar, is with the Lord now, but a brilliant, brilliant writer, uh, summarizes these verses, says this. Now the apostle moves on from the new society to the new standards which are expected of it. So he turns from exposition to exhortation, from what God has done to what we must be and do from doctrine to duty, from mind-stretching theology to its down-to-earth concrete implications in everyday living. So, it's moving from exposition, this is what, who you are in Christ, great teaching, into practical application. Um, in fact, you've heard me say this before, because so I've been given this first before to preach, is that behind the phrase, a life worth living is a picture of scales. That's what Paul is visualizing. And he's literally saying, look, your life as a Christian should reflect, it should balance out all this wonderful truth, the person you are now in Christ. So it should really change you when you become a Christian and it should particularly change you how you relate to other people. So saying if you're a Christian, it should impact how you relate. Husband to wife, parent to child, employee, a brother and sister, 
uh, son to uh, uh, father or, or daughter to mother or whatever. Saying, look, you're a Christian. You should be different. You should. In fact, in some ways, the, the more Christian you are, the more you are in Christ, this should, have, should be revealed. It should balance out the depth of the change in how you relate with people. And then Paul literally goes through the, nearly the, the rest of the, uh, the letter outlining the different relationships that we all experience. So from verse 1 through to 16 in chapter 4, it talks about unity and emphasis on unity. Um, and further on in chapter 4 through into the beginning of chapter 5, it talks about things like purity. So in other words, how you relate to people with your sexuality is really important because, it, because it's being balanced by this truth, who you are. And then uh, Ephesians 5, 20 and following, it then talks about marriage, it talks about kids, and then it talks about slaves and masters. I'm going to apply that in our context to your work situation. So you have all this doctrine, you have this summary phrase, and then it says, now in light of that, in light of what God has done, balance it out and how you relate. Work for unity. Uh, manage your sexuality, purity. Um, be careful how you speak to people and work it out in marriage and how you parent and how you work. And as I said, I, I think relationships give the most joy and also can create the most pain. Not always when, if I can say, sometimes you, when you think about pain, you think when people sin against you or do something, maybe not always sin against you, just overlook you or you feel overlooked or not cared for or something, you feel let down, it causes some pain. That's in your emotional reaction to what's happened. But sometimes you get pain because it reflects how much joy you had in the relationship. So if you've been married many decades and then suddenly, which will happen to all of us one day, probably, unless you both go at the same time, which does happen occasionally, normally an accident. But if one of you goes, then someone's going to left behind. And so something that's caused you great joy, then will you experience loss. And so relationships give great joy, but also even good relationships create pain. And what are you to do with that? Well, one thing you can do is you can withdraw. You can say, well, I don't want to get hurt. I'll just... But that doesn't help you. Because that tends to lead to other problems like isolation or loneliness. And so you're kind of trapped in a good way. But in a good relationship, the joy should outweigh the pain. But if you've really invested, then they're, they're, it, it, particularly through bereavement, you will sense some loss. So I'm appealing to you that as, as a Christian, it should make a difference to how you relate Husband and wife, parents, work, uh, community. The relationships both bring joy and pain. But it's worth investing in them. But you get out of them what you tend to put in rather than what you take. And I want to quickly try and give you three guiding principles of how to build relationships. You will have to contextualize it into the different relationships you have. Um, but here's three, here's quick, quickly, in this massive subject. The first is, I read in the book, Freedom in Christ, on this subject, how you relate to each other, and it, it was a brilliant phrase. It just struck me, and I thought, oh, I've got to preach that. It said, 
when relating to people, you have a question. Are you going to emphasize your rights or are you going to emphasize your responsibilities? Yeah? Are you going to emphasize your rights or your responsibilities? Um, rights tend to project out saying, this is what I, I deserve this. I have rights. I have rights in this relationship. Responsibilities tend to ask you to look in and say, this is what I bring. This is what I give to this relationship. So let's take the marriage. I know you're not all married here, uh, but let's use it as a working example. If in the car on the way home, I talk to Deb and I go to Deb, I go, that's a really good message from, the, from me today, love, I thought. And I, I thought I'd take the opportunity to just remind you of my rights as your husband. Yeah? I, it's just not going to go well from the moment I say I have rights, okay? Or if, you, if you're a parent here, <laughs> you, you sit your kids down and say, look, um, I've got rights as a parent and that should impact how you respond. My experience of particularly teenagers is that's not going to work, okay? Even if, and you do have rights, we all have rights, I'll make a comment on that, but in a while, but what I, what I want to emphasize through this message, if there's anything you take away is, what is your responsibility in relationships? Because that is within your control. Um, and Paul actually addresses this later on in Ephesians 5, and he, he actually takes a picture, and the picture of uh, how a marriage should work, and basically what he's saying in summary is, be like Jesus to one another. One picture he says, the husband is ahead, and what he should do, that means, is lay down his life. Not to say, these are my rights as the husband and the household. No, to lay down your life. Uh, to the wife he says, submit. Just as Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, ultimately to the cross. So what you have in the picture that Paul um, uh, draws is actually here are two characteristics that are represented in Jesus. So what I'm asking you to do in the uh, a marriage, in a marriage, is to have the same attitude as Christ, who laid down his life and submitted to the Father's will. And so you are to be Jesus to one another, rather than saying these are my rights. You haven't done this. I think you should be doing this. I want one sugar in my tea, and slippers and things like that. It's just if you start asking for things like that, it. I've tried it. It didn't work. Okay? Now, that's not to say that there isn't the importance in relationships of appropriate boundaries. I'm emphasizing responsibility, which I think is within, to a degree, within your control, okay? Related to your frailties and weaknesses and maturity or whatever, or lack of it. But there needs to be at least a balancing comment, which is to do with boundaries. In fact, when it comes to raising kids, my theory on life is raising kids is easy because all you have to do is apply two principles. Okay? <laughs> Everyone thinks he's making that up. Raising kids is not easy, by the way. But big, big picture, there are two things that you need to be aware of at any given time is boundaries and love. Love for kids is spelt T-I-M-E. So you can't shortcut, shortcut it. You have to invest relationally with them and, uh, and you have to set boundaries. And it's different in different seasons, but basically parenting is an adjustment of those two things 
as they grow up and when they're really young. You reckon you can relate with them, you muck about with them. I have boy, three boys, bundle them, duff them over, bundle them. You're kind of connecting, watching sport, playing sport, whatever you're doing. And then you say, no, it's time for bed. Oh, I don't want to go to bed. It's time for bed. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's how my kids are. I mean, were. And uh, I might pray for my, two of my sons in the room at the moment, okay? So, so but th- then as they get older, it becomes a bit more of a, an art rather than a science. But basically, you negotiate through choosing battles wisely to to expand and negotiate the boundaries, but you still need to stay close to them. If you're too tight on your boundaries, you'll get rebellion. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah? If you don't give boundaries, then they're just all, all chaos could break loose. And the art of parenting is actually at any given moment knowing, is this a, is this a, a boundary moment or is this a kind of time, love? What, what's the issue? Now, very often, and I've seen some great parents and their kids have like, made choices which are not good choices. It reflects on the kids, and they're independent in the end, not always on the parent. But the question we can ask is, what's the environment we're setting? And when our kids are not going well, we should at least say, what more could we do? Deb and I would have those type of conversations when we would face a, a challenge as, as a family. go, that, that, that's a kind of like deep theological phrase. <laughs> Anyone have that as a parent? And then, okay, okay, what, what, what's going on? And particularly when you see something in one of your kids which you see in yourself, if you ever have that one, you think, oh no, that's like me and it's not a good thing. Don't take it out on them at that point. You're just projecting your own stuff on them. But boundaries are important. Uh, I want to recommend a book to you. It's a Christian classic called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Uh, it talks about the appropriateness of boundaries, that there are moments to say no when this is not your responsibility, it is the other person's. Um, ha- how many of you have ever done Strength Finders? Has anyone ever done Strength Finders? That's, I've done Strength Finders. Uh, I think it's really worth doing. Increase your self-awareness of what you're like and... In Strength Finders, what I like about it is it, 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 it tells you what your strengths are. I, I, I don't need too many people telling me about my weaknesses. I've got so many of them. It could be a long conversation. It's just, but to actually say you're good at something. And one that I come out with is responsibility. So I, I'm the type of person, I, I'm worth being, if there's a crisis, I, I'll step in. In fact, at times, my strength has become my weakness. I've overstepped. I've actually taken on responsibility that is actually beyond. It's actually, no, it's your responsibility to solve this issue, not mine. I can't. I, so occasionally, particularly in our family of churches, there'll be a crisis and someone makes an appeal. And I think, oh, yeah, I could help. And I jump on a plane or get in a car. And, I, and sometimes that's appropriate. Other times I think, no, it's not my responsibility. It's someone else's. And they need to stand up. So boundaries are really important. Um, but the heart of this message is to emphasize what is within your control, which is what is your responsibility. Maybe Jesus' word will help us. It says, do not judge, Matthew 7, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, so this is all about how you relate to people and you, you make judgments, okay? You will be judged and you will, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your own 
brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. You know the passage well. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So if you're married here, think about what can I give rather than what can I take? What is my responsibility in this situation? Um, or what is my responsibility as a, a son or a daughter? How often should I phone my parents? Oh, God. I phone my dad two or three times a week. Yeah, just stay in touch. What is, what's an appropriate boundary? What's an appropriate responsibility in the work situation or in a church situation? And remember, we're in a culture which emphasizes rights rather than responsibilities. So we're in a kind of this sort of worldview that is always saying, you've got your rights, you've got your rights, and it comes from a very individualistic position. I'm an individual, I'm disconnected from community values and process, I have my rights, and I'm going to speak for my rights, where I think a Christian response is, is more, what are my responsibilities, what can I bring, what should I be uh, contributing to this uh, relationship? Second principle is I call heart attitude, verse 2. Paul says this. I, find, I don't know if you I find these verses really challenging. They're classic Christian verses that we listen to regularly and just skim over. Okay? Oh, yeah. That's, it's the type of thing Jesus would say. Oh, yeah, the Apostle Paul. But do they have real impact? I read, <laughs> I read them. I was like, oh, no, I'm in big trouble. Be completely humble. It's, just, it's not just be humble. It says be completely humble. <coughs> and gentle. Oh, if you know me, I'm renowned for my gentleness. Okay, And be patient. One of my high skills, patience. I mean, it's not. I, mean, I'm the, I am the person in Sainsbury's that is like, yeah, I think I can see those 15 cues. That person's slightly older than that person. I'm reading there how big they're basket is I'm going to go over here and always get it wrong or if, if you ever get held up on a motorway and there's a crash or something like that I'm one of those people that is jumping lanes thinking that that one's going faster I even when the crash this is me when the crash happens I occasionally look to see what car's next to me so that when I get through the crash to see if I beat that car I mean I'm that side I'm, I lack patience in fact, <laughs> I lack humility, gentleness, patience, and then the summary phrase, and bear with one another, which is like, kind of, I just think best of, and just hang in there. I mean, it's the same with 1 Corinthians 13, isn't it? Love is, oh gosh, or Galatians 5.22, kindness and goodness and self-control. I find that you, we should all feel challenged by this. I hope you are, I am. At least I'm preaching to myself, Yeah. I am, um, on my Twitter feed, I follow a number of different sources that give you different material. One of them is the Harvard Business Review. It's great. I, I get some fascinating articles come up. Um, one I saw just a few weeks ago was about emotional intelligence because business has worked out that the way people relate to one another and how they handle that has economic impact or profitability for that company. We need people that are self-aware that know how to relate appropriately in different contexts. 
And so there's this whole thing called emotional intelligence that's come out. And uh, uh, just a different angle. Let's, if we just put that next slide up. And I saw this and I thought, that's fascinating. Never seen it summarized like that. Emotional intelligence is self-awareness. It's about self-management. It's about social awareness. And it's about relational management. So self-awareness is to be aware of the emotional undercurrents that's going on in your life. In other words, if you have been hurt and you haven't resolved that, that will impact how you relate to other people. Um, Self-management is all about self-control. It's about emotional self-control. It's about an appropriate managing of emotions in relationships, about adaptability, achievement orientation, or positive outlook. I did well on that one. I thought, you know when you look at things like this, you think, oh, yeah, I'm okay. Oh, gosh, I'm not very good at that one. And then the next one, social awareness, there was this new word to me called empathy. Empathy, okay? Now, I have been trying to understand empathy for a long time. And it's made worse by Deb, my wife, when she did Strength Finders. Her top one is empathy, which I've worked out is good for me. I've worked that out. It took me a number of about three decades to work that one out, which is, is, I mean, as I understand empathy, is your ability to stand in the other person's shoes and feel and identify and... uh, Something like that, anyway. I'm doing, I'm doing as well I can, as I can. Is empathise with what it's like to be in the other person's shoes. Okay, and Deb's brilliant like that. So if I've got something, I can tell she r- doesn't have to agree with me. It's just understand how the other person feels. I, I need to grow in that one. I'm a kind of more of, come on, let's get going. There's a, there's a kingdom to preach. Let's, if it kills us doing it, it's worth it. Yeah, type. I lean more that way as the activist. Uh, I found that lens helpful to increase your self-awareness on how you impact others when you relate to them. Here's another uh, framework that might help you. I call this the ABC framework. So what happens is that there are things that are going to happen to us in relationships. I think of my friend Dowjit, who I told you about, who became a Christian as a young man from a difficult background and used to come around my house once a month when I... Uh, a week, sorry, when we were in Bedford for tea, and then we'd go for a walk around the block and chat. On this occasion, we were walking around, and he didn't know how to respond to the fact that his father had hit him. And so there had been this activating event that had, uh, had happened outside his control, and he was trying to work out as a young, young man, Christian man, how to respond. And so there was an activating event, and that activating event was going to have a consequence depending on how he responded and how he responded was dependent on B, which is what he believes. So A, B, C. Activate an event. C is consequence, your response. But your response is shaped by what you believe. And you can take responsibility for that. You cannot control activating events. Yeah? You can take responsibility for how you respond. And how you respond will have a consequence. Yeah? And how you respond can make the difference in a relationship staying together or actually, rather than dialing things down, umping them up, upping them up, yeah? Getting, them, getting it worse, yeah? So some of you are probably processing there's been an activating event and you're just trying to work out, ah, if I make this decision, that's going to have that consequence. If I make this decision, it's going to have that consequence. If you're a Christian, it should be shaped 
by what you believe as a Christian. And therefore, lastly, healthy relationships make every effort to keep the bond of peace. Relationships, whether you're married, you're parenting, you're caring for elderly parents, you're building friendship, takes effort. A lot of effort. Yeah? An effort to keeping the bond of peace. So lastly, make every effort to keep the bond of peace. Uh, And and I just want to land this message quickly now. If you really want to have freedom when it comes to your relationships, you have to understand the difference between forgiveness, trust, and justice. And very often people get confused of these in my experience. Freedom comes by forgiving someone that's hurt you, even if they've done awful things and sinned against you. In the end, you won't find freedom unless you forgive them. The trouble is you find it difficult to forgive. So do I. And one of the reasons we don't find it easy to forgive is we feel that there there's, should be justice. This, I've been wrong. This is not right. Uh, and, and what I want to say is that that is a, a right response. In fact, what you see in the cross ultimately is forgiveness and justice in one moment. Okay? But justice doesn't always come this side of the grave. Ultimately, you have to leave justice with God. And if you don't understand that justice will come and the person won't ultimately be let off, then you might not be in a position to forgive and therefore you don't live in the benefit of freedom in Christ, which comes through forgiving people. And the other thing people confuse is forgiveness and trust. I think if I forgive someone, does that mean that I immediately trust them? Not necessarily. If a child breaks a boundary, yeah, you might out of love forgive them and say, look, kids are going to muck up from time to time, as, to be honest, so are parents. Yeah? I'll forgive them because I love them, but let's just have a chat about boundaries here. Yeah? Because it will make time to repair trust before you kind of give people freedom again. It's the same in a marriage. could be the same. Even if someone committed adultery, you can, it would take time maybe to come to a place of forgiving them, but it might take more time to rebuild trust. So therefore, if you think you're going to forgive someone, you've got to trust them, and justice is all going to be resolved in the same moment, you might get stuck with unforgiveness, which can lead to bitterness. And bitterness, if, 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 if that takes a root, then that, as the scripture says, tends to do a lot of damage. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So if you can't work through forgiveness, then you can get into a situation of bitterness towards someone and that impacts your soul and your spirit and not only muck you up, but can impact all your relationships. If you've ever met a very bitter person, they're not fun to be around because they've just got this edge and it filters through everything and it, it, it defiles them and causes trouble for many. I hope I've served you well today. This is a big subject matter about relating to one another's. I have said to you, take responsibility. Don't claim or demand your rights. Take your responsibility. Be aware of boundaries. Have a heart of forgiveness. Uh, and work hard at building relationships with one another. Let's pray together.